Well, amen. Uh, what a perfect song for what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, my name is David. I'm the liturgist here at the church, but it's my pleasure and privilege to be delivering the message this morning. Uh, a message that's uh, the final sermon on our study of 1 Corinthians, this study that has featured this theme of God's wisdom in comparison to the supposed wisdom of the world, and how sometimes God's wisdom almost seems like foolishness to the world. And I think we come to the climax in this 15th chapter of that conflict between wisdoms, because we have a topic that's been alluded to already today that is the most central fixture of our faith. It's the most important, you could say, thing that everything revolves around, that we believe in, yet it's also maybe the hardest thing for people that are unbelievers to understand. It's the height of our faith, yes, yet it sometimes seems the most foolish to people, and that topic is the resurrection of the dead. Now, uh, I said it's such a perfect song, Graves into Gardens, because that's really the focus of what we're going to be looking at. It's even a, a metaphor that we're going to see repeated in Paul's words here. Uh, this is all uh, being triggered by the fact that it seems like there are some people in Corinth at the time of the writing of this letter that are even questioning the reality of the resurrection of the dead. And of course, G, uh, Paul uses a lot of this 15th chapter to talk about how central the idea of the resurrection is to us as believers in a resurrected Savior. Why it's so important, why we need to believe it. And then, in the scripture we're going to pick up on, he's responding specifically to questions of how this even works of how the dead are raised. This seems impossible. And so I'd like to read that section and it'll be up on the screen and we'll see the way that Paul responds. So starting in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 35, he says, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow, and he's talking about sowing seeds into the ground, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined. And to each kind of seed, he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh. Animals have another birds another and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another and the stars another, and star differs from star in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. 
It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Now when I was asked to preach on this specific passage, uh, the first thing that uh, really stuck out to me was the harshness of Paul's rebuke. Because uh, to a certain degree, this seems like a decent question. I mean, the resurrection of the dead is a mysterious thing that we are all, even though we may believe in it, not 100% sure how it works. So, of course, the first thing I think is there might be some snarkiness in the question of how are the dead raised. Like, how is that supposed to work? We've seen dead bodies. We don't want to get raised up like that. Uh, so, in one way, he's rebuking that kind of question, but also Paul's harsh rebuke is based also on the fact that to him, it is foolish to question the resurrection because there is evidence of resurrection all around us. You can see this in the simplicity of his response. He says, how foolish what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And he uses a very elementary example, something they all would have seen in their everyday life, something that surrounds us, and it's this metaphor of a seed, a dead seed that appears lifeless, being planted, and then out grows new life, and it looks different. It's now suited for its life as a plant. So when people ask, how are we going to be raised, he says, we see this all the time. The dead are planted, and God raises them into new life. He says, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined. And to each kind of seed, he gives its own body. Now, the ubiquitous nature of this example, the fact that it's surrounding them in their everyday life, I think is very important to a theme and message that Paul is building here. Uh, the theologian Leon Morris in his commentary uh, explains how much the uh, people who objected to the idea of resurrection, anyone listening to Paul's words here, would have been very familiar with this practice. He says, the resurrection is not without its parallels in activities familiar to and even engaged upon by the objectors. If only they would think. They themselves had the answer to their own objection in their own habitual practices. They sow seed, which is destroyed in the form in which it is sown. If they open their eyes, they see in these normal practices the resurrection from the dead every day. In this simple example of seeds that almost can't seem to help but sprout. I don't know if you've had much experience with planting seeds. I haven't had a lot. We have a lot of house plants in our home, but I don't touch any of them. Uh, my wife has the green thumb, I, I, I don't. Uh, although I do have a little bit of experience. When I was in high school, I was in science classes, because they made me, uh, and I didn't do great. I, I got by with what I had to do in biology. Uh, but at the school I went to, no matter what kind of science student you were, you had to enter the science fair. And you had to 
do a science experiment, and you're probably familiar with the type I'm talking about where you had to get the tri-fold cardboard uh, display and you had to have it all written up. And this was all completely against my will. Uh, but I, I said, what's, what's my easy out here? And I said, there's always one thing I can do, which is I knew if you plant little tomato seeds uh, in little... Uh, uh, just little boxes, they will grow, they'll sprout. It's very easy. So I would always do experiments with these seeds. Uh, the one I remember the most was I had one batch of tomato seeds I planted and I watered with water, the way you're supposed to. Another one I watered with Gatorade. Uh, and I, I, I was already planning my, my spin to see if they were more athletic plants or not. Uh, <laughs> And then the other I, I planted, this is, I was a young provocateur, so I, I fed the tomato seeds tomato juice uh, to see what that would do. Uh, yeah, I thought it was funny. Uh, and uh, lo and behold, despite the fact that, and this isn't even a, a grown-up, David, this is a 15-year-old, so I was even less uh, good at doing anything. Uh, but lo and behold, those seeds sprouted. The ones from the water, they sprouted up. Up they came, little green leaves. Even the ones from the Gatorade sprouted up. Uh, I don't remember if they were more athletic or not. Uh, however, though, the, the tomato juice just created a thick kind of crust uh, above all the soil whenever I'd pour it in, so there's nothing that was gonna break out of that, so the tomato juice plants died. Uh, but that was, you know out of pure uh, negligence. Uh, but the main point is, is that I almost couldn't help but have those seeds sprout because it was the way they work. God has designed a world where those seeds come out of the ground into new life. Because resurrection is a part of the nature of creation. We see it every day when we see seeds sprout I know where we live in uh, Rancho Palos Verdes, we see the, the brown hills, uh, and then whenever there's a big rain, those hills turn green, at least for a little while. You see it, you can't stop it. And then, of course, we see it every year, maybe not in California, but I guess in other places, where every winter, uh, the snow descends and things die, of course, to be resurrected again in the spring. And we get this idea coming from Paul. If you open your eyes, you see that continual resurrection is the nature of creation. And the reason why this is important is because in this way, the resurrection nature of the creation is reflecting the resurrection nature of the creator. Creation reflects the creator. We see this throughout scripture. Maybe most famously in Psalm 19, which actually was alluded to in one of the worship songs this morning. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. Nature is continually revealing to us the creator. And when we see the resurrection quality of nature, we begin to see the reflected nature of a God of resurrection. 
Our God is a God of resurrection. You can see why this was so central to Paul. You can't get this wrong. Not this topic. I don't think it's inappropriate to use that language either to call God a God of resurrection. Jesus uses that language. When he was visiting Mary and Martha after their brother Lazarus had died, Jesus came to them and said, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Jesus, the incarnation, says, I am the resurrection. It is what I do. And we see this to be true throughout the Bible. Of course, in the literal resurrection, you know, the, the most important moment in human history, in the history of all reality, the resurrection of our Savior. But if you have eyes to see, like Paul talks about, you see it throughout Scripture. The continual rescue and redemption and resurrection that God has for his people. The most famous, of course, in the Old Testament is in the book of Exodus, when the children of Israel are crying out in the depths of slavery and oppression, and God reaches down and he resurrects them. He redeems them. Time and time again throughout the stories of the Israelites, they find themselves on the brink of destruction, yet God again rescues them. When they're in exile, they cry out, when will you find us again? And he returns them to the promised land. And once Jesus is on the scene, we see him resurrecting people because that's what he does. And we see him resurrect all humanity from death through his own resurrection. And we know from the book of Revelation that all human history is headed towards resurrection. On the day where heaven descends upon the earth and all of God's people are resurrected to be with him in eternity. Resurrection is one of the main ways that God loves his creation. Now, I think this makes sense theologically for those reasons. But I think what I was led to share today is really the application of this in our lives. The necessity that we live with the heart knowledge of the resurrection and that we live lives rooted in the faith of a God of resurrection. See, the people in Corinth were starting to deny that. But Paul knew you can't deny the resurrection. If we deny it, I mean, you can. They were doing it. I mean, I could deny the resurrection power of those seeds by pouring tomato juice on them. I can stop that. But you don't want to. If you deny the resurrection, you not only remove the central victory of what Christ was doing, but if you deny the resurrection, you remove our hope in the world. If we want to move on as individuals, as a community, as a people, in our everyday lives, we need to believe 
in the God of rescue, redemption, and resurrection. We need to believe in the reality of resurrection in the past, in the present, and in the future. We need to believe it in the past. The resurrection of Jesus is not a story. It is a fact of reality. We worship a Savior who is resurrected. And we need to believe that. It helps us understand that when we die, that resurrection will be true in the future. We will be raised to be with God. Those that we love, we will see again because they will be raised. We need to believe in the truth of the resurrection in the future. And then what I really wanted to focus on today is that we need to believe in the resurrection in the present of our lives. We believe in a living Savior. Do we believe that Jesus is alive now? We do. We believe that he wants to rescue us in the here and now. We believe that he invites us into his resurrection power now in our daily lives. I think the most powerful way this has been worded that I've found is in, in the Psalms, in the words of David, when he talks about what it's like to have God's resurrection power affect you in your daily life. He mentions many times about how God lifts him from the pit. In Psalm 40, he writes, I waited patiently for the Lord, he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. If you listen to that language, it's almost like a seed being pulled out of the soil. David being pulled out of the mud and the mire and planted. In Psalm 103, he says, Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. That redemptive love and compassion of God is what we need in our everyday lives. It's the fuel we need to keep us living life in the kingdom. It's the fuel we need to keep us just living life. I mean, I know that even in my everyday life, there's times I'll come home exhausted from work and I'll say, oh Lord, resurrect me. <laughs> my wife Sandy has been uh, substitute teaching. A couple weeks ago, she substituted kindergarten class for two days in a row. And when I saw her after those two days, I said, she's in need of resurrection. <laughs> we can see God's resurrecting power among us. Last week, Michael and Miriam pulled me aside and they said, have you seen this? And they have the bulletin board out there. And they showed me how many people were housed last month through our homeless program. 20 people found housing. Now, if you look at the list, I know, you should clap. If you look at the list of the previous months, it's all single digits. Then all of a sudden, 20 people whose God's resurrection power touched their lives, found them, drew them up from the street, 
and brought them home. I know for me, right at this moment, I need God's resurrection power in my life. My family needs God's resurrection power in my life, in our lives. When I was a teenager, I think about 19, my dad informed all of us that uh, he had been diagnosed with leukemia. Uh, And it was a very hard journey. We saw him go through chemotherapy for months. We saw how it pretty much brought him to the brink of complete collapse, the level of weakness, the level of tiredness, fatigue. And then we saw, as that cancer went into remission, the Lord resurrect him and bring him back into full strength. Just a couple weeks ago, my dad texted me and I called him and he said, they just let me know that the leukemia is back. And as of right now, as of today, my dad is going to start chemotherapy for the next week. And so he needs to believe in a God of resurrection. We need to believe, me and my family, my mother, my dad, we need to believe that God's resurrection power is not a story just from the Bible, but it is a reality in our everyday lives. I don't think there's any way around it that God wants us to live lives that are fueled by that knowledge in our hearts. I know it's a reality to me right now that I need to believe it. And I think God wants to invite you into the real, present, resurrection power of his love in your life. I'd like to invite the worship band up. uh, And I'd like to invite you into a prayer. Uh, Some of you, maybe when listening to this, recognize that you need the presence of that resurrection power in your life. It may not be homelessness, but it might. It may not be disease, but it might. It might just be a recognition that, Lord, I need you. And I need to believe that you are someone that will find me in the depths of where I am. What did the song say? The God of the mountain is also the God of the valley. And he will find us there. So I'm going to invite you, as the band starts to get ready, to pray a prayer if you want. It's going to be up on the screen. And that you bring into your heart whatever you need, whatever that valley is, where you need God's resurrecting power. I even invite you, if you want, to hold out your hands to receive the power of God's Holy Spirit on your life right now. And we'll pray that he'll visit upon you the knowledge of the reality of his resurrecting love. Let's pray together. You can pray these words with me as they are on the screen. Heavenly Father, I believe that you are a God of resurrection. I believe you want to redeem me and rescue me from a life of sin. 
I accept your love and your offer of resurrection life. And I invite you now into my life. I invite you into my pain. I invite you into my shame. I invite you into my struggles. And I say yes to the power of your Holy Spirit in my life and the power of your resurrecting love. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy on me. Amen. Let's worship.